everyone. Welcome back to Challenging Trades. Once again, we are here to present you with a lot of news in the market. Uh, this is Chris Frabrod, uh, co-founder and partner at ATM Crypto Coins, still the best and easiest way to change cash into cryptocurrency in Massachusetts. And I'm here with my co-host, Drew. This is Drew here. Thanks, Chris. And I am representing myself today on this podcast. Wow. I mean, you know, not a cha- not a break from the norm, but we always appreciate you being who you are and how you operate. Uh, just a, And one more time, just a reminder, Challenging Trades is a news and opinion source and does not provide any investment advice. On today's agenda, we're going to be talking about our trade challenge, a little bit of the week in review in terms of news, what an up and down week it's been. And we're also going to be talking about inflation. Um, what does that mean for you in terms of how you live your life and what you can purchase. And also, what does it mean for interest rates? We keep hearing about these Fed interest rates. What exactly does that mean? And what kind of interest rates can we expect? Uh, and You're that- also probably wondering why it's Sunday, not Saturday morning. And yes. I can tell you it's the afternoon here on Super Bowl Sunday on the Eastern uh, time zone. It's cold out there in the East and it's nice and warm here in sunny Southern California where we'll be hosting I did forget uh, one to of the hottest time, and I, I one of the hottest Super Bowl kickoff t- uh, times in the history of the Super Bowl. Actually, there's a heat index warning. Just goes to show you, really, stuff's getting hotter. Not stuff's over here, man, because it was 56 degrees yesterday, and and in the Northeast here, it's now snowing. So things so are getting get up to 90 busy. here. The wall. Anyway, so yeah, just uh, just to let everybody know, I did forget to mention the date and time. Today is February thirteenth. It is currently twelve ten uh, Eastern Standard Time in the afternoon, and it is nine ten Pacific 10 Standard Time in the morning. Pacific Standard Time. Thank you for that. Yes, yes early here in the day. So we're just starting it off, and we've got a lot to talk about today. Tons. So let's talk about. Let's start with the trade challenge, like we usually do. Um, for those that are still uninitiated to the show, we challenge each other trades once a month and basically put our picks against each other and see how we do. Um, last month, I won uh, by a very narrow margin. And this month, we are pitting Fisker versus Ionis Pharmaceuticals. Started the trade challenge on January 29th. Uh, and Fisker at that time was at 10.45. Ionis Pharmaceuticals was 31.68, and they have both risen. So we are finally both in the green for the first time in the history of the trading challenge. Right. That's big for the year. And by the way, just so folks know what Fisker is, Fisker is a high-end EV play, correct? Uh, which is one of Chris's faves. Oh no! Nah, he not, talks about like he talks about EV all the time. Loves I don't even it. like EVs. I he has like two parking chargers. He's got two Nissan, a fleet of <laughs> Nissan Leafs. I wish he, this guy, this guy is like has I'm wearing Fisker pajamas to, to bed. Um, I sleep in a Rivian. Like it's he just... sleeps in a Rivian car bed. Uh, but, yeah, and so Ionis Pharmaceuticals represents kind of like that biotech uh, sector XBI that, that we heard so much about last month, and this month uh, is still doing poorly. So, but I'm happy that Ionis is actually doing really well. I love actually I very well because doing with the trade challenge currently where it sits, uh, Ionis Pharmaceuticals is currently at a three and a half percent gain from that uh, January 29th price. And Fisker is at an 11% gain from its January 29th price. So both of them have risen quite a bit. But I will say this, 
uh, over the course of this week, Drew's pick, Ionis Pharmaceuticals, has really kind of made up ground, um, moving around 4.1% in one week, which is awesome. Thank you. I'm happy to have it in my portfolio. No, yeah. So, Drew, why don't you take us through the week in review? Like, talk to us about what's, what you saw this week in the news, what you're looking at, um, you know, just could be, you know, market related, could be lifestyle stuff. Like, what are you seeing? Yeah, so another kind of roller coaster week for us today. Uh, started off kind of on the trend on the back of heels of the prior week. Like, you know, folks are thinking inflation might be t- toning down a bit. They think it's leveling off. So a lot of folks, I think, went into um, this week's uh, CPI reading feeling pretty optimistic. Uh, so even some of the growth stocks are rebounding. There's a lot of strong earnings again, corporate earnings this week. So. It was something that, uh, you know, it's pretty strong still from an economy standpoint. Um, now, the big kind of reading uh, was, of course, the CPI. Um, CPI coming in at 7.5% uh, year over year. Highest inflation in 40 years with one of the lowest federal fund rates ever at, at the Basically same time. Nothing. holding it. There's no fund Nothing. But the delta between the two, I don't think, has ever been seen before. And so a lot of market participants are really upset that the Fed is way behind the curve on this one. Chris, tell me what's driving uh, inflation. So there's a few things that factor into that 7.5%. We're going to talk about that in the next segment during like our big topic, because that is the big topic of the week. It's going to be inflation and Fed rate. So I'm going to hold that information just for about five minutes. And wanted to just bring up the fact that last week, the NAS, the S&P was up about one and a half percent. All of those gains were erased this week. So at the beginning of the week, we really looked like we were poised for a good run. Um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, beautiful days in terms of how we saw the market moving. And I think that was anticipatory in terms of how we expected the information to come out from the Fed meeting this week. Unfortunately, the we expected uh, the market itself expected around a 7.2 to 7.3% increase year over year. We ended up with a 7.5% increase. That 0.2% increase really put shockwaves through the market and sent stocks spiraling afterwards. Uh, so Thursday, we saw a very red day. And Friday, we saw the sem- a similar pattern, not nearly as much of a bloodbath, but it was still pretty rough. The NASDAQ, which kind of houses most of those growth stocks, tech stocks, took a bigger beating than the S&P this week uh, at a 2.3% drop, which is big. Um, but we, interestingly enough, the VIX, that volatility index that we've referenced a couple of times so far, and we're going to keep referencing it as things continue to stay volatile, um, actually dropped a little bit. So volatility decreased a touch, which is interesting. I think as clarity kind of comes out in the market, volatility will drop even though the market is declining. So just because the market is declining doesn't mean it's a volatile market. It means maybe more clarity is being put into the market and it's still coming down because the information we're receiving isn't good. We Uh, did see a pretty significant spike in volatility though on, uh, what, Wednesday? I think it was Friday. Or Friday? Yeah, big, big spike. Um, About 14%. This happened at around 1 p.m. So if you're looking at it on a granular level, yeah, you can see when things really start to go haywire. And Friday was a as a very up and down day. I remember mm-hmm. the day started out green and ended out real red. It was a very volatile day. Uh, we, we actually had a pretty much collapse going on because we started out pretty green 
and all uh, those games were were wiped out within around one o'clock. I mean, I was really riding a, a nice wave at the beginning of the Bam. week. Personally, I think I was up uh, over the course of the week somewhere around eleven or twelve percent. I ended the week up around two percent. So a lot of those Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday gains got wiped out by that Fed meeting, and then the and what happened afterwards, kind of the aftermath of that. A lot of, uh, I think a lot of the consternation right now is coming from the geopolitical risks in addition to the domestic economy risks, as a lot of folks now are kind of being priced out of markets or really struggling with uh, the lack of wage inflation compared to other inflationary effects. And they're inflationary effects that affect everybody. We're going to get into some of the really bad um, rises. I and really want to talk about it, but I know you're so excited. You're chomping at the bit. I I, I, I'm going to let you kind of run with the next section. Get into it. This is all right. Fine. Well, two more things to talk about. <laughs> Uh, in terms of interest rates, the rates, uh, the rate increases based on this week's meeting from the Fed look like they could be anywhere from a quarter to a half percent. Now, we'll talk about what those mean in a second, but a half percent would be a really big move and it will have drastic impacts on the market. So just bear in mind, if that's what you see, you're going to want to make some adjustments. And then just lifestyle stuff, world stuff, the, the, the Olympics of all things. Um, Drew brought this to my attention right before the podcast. It's the, and I looked it up. It's the worst Olympic ratings in the history of the Olympics, summer and winter Olympics included. Very interesting stuff there. Trying to figure out kind of, since I just heard it, decipher what that means exactly. But people are just aren't tuning into this anymore. They, I think maybe just a little too busy with what's going on in the world around them right now. That is... That is it. So thanks. Thank you, Chris, for that. We can review. That, what do you think about that Olympic stuff? What do you think that means? Uh, I just feel like a lot of people don't want to watch uh, empty bleachers. You're not wrong. I mean, you can't with COVID being a thing and obviously and like kind of where it began. It's kind of tough to want to have people there. It's uh, you just can't get into the mood and I don't know. It's uh, it just feels a little gloomier right now and folks want to be inspired and I don't know. I'm not, it's just tough to see that right now with, uh, with how things are going on from a geopolitical perspective. Yeah. Maybe it's just, maybe it's just not the distraction we need anyway. All right. So we're going to move on to the big topic because we've alluded to it a couple of times so far and it is a big topic. It's one that, I'm sure many of you have had your fingers on the pulse of, I know Drew and I have been talking about it extensively. Drew has done a lot of amazing research this week in terms of quantitative tightening, Fed interest rates, historical interest rate increases, and how that impacts the market more than I have and more than I could even think to do. But obviously it's a topic that's very close to all of our hearts um, and our wallets at the moment. So we want to make sure that we talk about it. So let's talk about inflation and interest rate increases by the Fed. This has been on the, the tips of everybody's tongue since the beginning of January, and it's been driving the conversation about investments. What are we currently looking at? What are we looking, what, what do we think might happen? And if, that, if the things that we think might happen, what would that impact? And what should you do as an investor if that scenario plays out? So, Drew, kick us off here by talking to us about the current rate of inflation. What is that? What's happening right now? Why are we so concerned about this? 
Right. I think we're just concerned because this hasn't happened in a while. And so there's not much near-term precedence around what we can do with inflation, um, how to how to maintain it, how to keep it under our control. And I think that the in the beginning it was clearly something to do with supply chain constraints. It was something that really disrupted the market. Uh, the the coronavirus came in, not only did we stimulate demand by giving out stimulus and lowering rates and buying more assets. Uh, I'm talking about the government. And junk bond buying was still up in January. Right. So, the, But those were measures to stem the, what, like 16% unemployment that happened uh, and then steadily got better. So in the beginning, it was kind of a shock to the system. There was no supply. Uh, international trade routes were being shut down, then reopened, and then logistic uh, chains were just disrupted to the point where we haven't seen this level of supply demand mismatch since World War II. It's been since- a perfect storm of events right now that's really fueling this situation. Um, you know, we saw economic recessions in 2000, we saw them in 2008 they were based on very different scenarios. Um, a, a pandemic really kind of puts a different type of strain on our, our environment and our economies at scale. So what that does is it, it's a ripple effect between not only the unemployment rate, which is something we've tackled domestically before, um, you know, that, that's not unusual for us, but then it, it becomes a global issue with the supply chain being impacted labor being impacted, not only domestically, but internationally. It's the, the effect of this has been so, so intertwined with our global economy. And, and when it impacts one country, we can work through that. When it impacts more than one country or the globe, as we've seen with this pandemic, this can cause a spiral that is quickly being formed as we speak. Um, and we've already been seeing it. So that kind of brings us to what we're looking at right now and why it's happening. The acceleration that you're talking about is when folks think that future prices are going to continue to go up. So they almost buy more than they would typically, mm-hmm. which drives even more inflation. The demand, the demand is accelerated and, and inflated and the supply chain still hasn't recovered. A lot of economists say, um, you know, low to moderate inflation is healthy for the economy. And that's true. I mean, in in many circumstances in the past, when there's a low to moderate level of inflation, stock markets- One to 3%, one to 4%. That's normal. We know, we've seen that year over year, well, you know, fairly often, you know, anywhere between one and a half to like three and a half percent is is fairly healthy. Now, a deceleration would happen uh, when prices decrease. And um, that is- even worse because people just don't buy anything or stimulate the economy at all because they think prices are going to continue to go down. So that, that wouldn't be good either. And that's what our government was trying to fight here with all these stimulus checks, essentially, right? They wanted to prevent that from happening. So they they gave everybody enough money to keep the economy going, but have they done that to a point where they've painted themselves into a corner? Possibly. I think that it's clear if you just look around right now at, uh, other comparables, like just looking at like other other developed countries now, like why is the why is this so different in the U.S.? Um, why is like inflation 
kind of almost running away in the U.S. When you look at like France, two two point nine percent, Canada, four point eight, four point eight percent Canada. You're only really talking about United Kingdom. We're up five point four percent, but that still pales in comparison to our seven and a half. We're seven and a half. Just to let you know, Mexico is about a little over seven percent, and their their uh, central bank federal funds rate, their central bank lending rate, is five and a half percent. And where are we again, Chris? I Zero to a quarter percent, effectively nothing. Wow, wow. So Mexico is still raising rates because they're afraid of their inflation, which is half a point less than our inflation. So what happened here? What happened here is exactly what we just talked about, but also let's put into numbers for you. Numbers that we feel are really representative, more so than the 7.5%. Uh, we'll talk about the ones that really drove the 7.5% up, and you're going to feel it when you go do anything. Um, you know, Live your life, and you're going to feel all these pains. So the CPI is up 0.6%, which is the highest increase um, in, I think it's been about five years. Uh, so consumer, consumer goods are going up through the roof in terms of prices. So you're feeling this, especially when it comes to energy costs, which the government and the feds don't like to talk about terribly much because they like to exclude this from the, um, what they call the core CPI. But we think it's important to talk about because it impacts, mm-hmm. it impacts all of us. So the energy costs over the last 12 months are up 27%. That includes gasoline up 40%. Natural gas gas you eat your house with more than likely up 24%. And this has caused some really interesting things to happen. A, we are spending a lot more money to live our lives uh, and to just go about our normal day. So whereas the salaries may not have inflated to, to match the current inflation, you're paying quite a bit more money just to get to your job. Drew in California really feels that kind of pain uh, because he just mentioned his at the pump price to me and it is bananas even compared to the massachusetts statistics so you know nearly five dollars a gallon for gasoline in in california right now and that is absurd so your your ability to continue to live your life on the salary that you were probably already getting in 2018 2019 and has probably not gone up had you held that job is starting to amount to less effectiveness as it pertains to conducting everyday activities in the meantime, though, as uh, from an investment standpoint, because that's what we talk about here, um, you know, it took us a second to take a look and see Exxon stock. And <laughs> had we that not, would have been a great trade challenge. Yeah, we should have that. really invested our money there because they are up fifty nine percent in the last twelve months. So where there is crisis, there is also opportunity. Take a look around you and see where you can find that. Uh, and then the used car market. I mean, we all know what that's like right now. The ability to buy a car was hampered very heavily by the chip shortage. So a supply chain issue caused a, a consumer goods issue, which is the inability to get new cars. So people went to get used cars. So what happened to used car prices? And I'm not talking new cars. Used car prices are up 40.5% in 12 months. Not new car. This is used car. So you're becoming almost unable to buy a used car should you need a vehicle like this is it's getting to the point where transportation is becoming as difficult to purchase as a home now this is all based on the fact that we've like we have not done anything here domestically to tackle our inflation the way the other countries or developed world has 
So what are what do we think is going to happen? What what's the Fed going to do now, Drew? Yeah, so the Fed essentially has a few different options. Um, clearly, we're we're in the in the uh, unfortunately in the position where we can't. We've been trying to really improve the fundamentals here by uh, bringing more supply online, figuring out alternate uh, ways of moving around our goods, uh, to, to diversifying our industries to get consumers goods at prices that are consistent and wages are continuing to increase here. So a lot of companies have to maintain their profit margins that pass those costs on to the consumer. I mean, those are all fundamental market forces that I don't think the fed is in a position to change, but they are in a position to change though, is the savings, uh, uh, the loan rates of, of, of the central uh, banks, um, uh, federal loan rate, federal so, loan rate and purchase rates. Yep. And so, what that what that essentially means is they have two ways of doing that. You could look at something like quantitative easing, or QE, or the opposite of quantitative, quantitative tightening, QT. Uh, essentially, it, it's a axiom similar similar way to just rate lowering the the central rate. Which, which, which they can do, do, by the way. Which is the historical way of, of them uh, trying to re- reel in inflation. But they've been trying to do that for the last couple of months, it looks like, and to very minimal effect. It feels like to me, they've been trying to do everything but hit the big red button, right? Which is the Fed interest rate needs to go up. There is no alternative. We have done all of the small uh, moves that are very low impact to the market to raise the rates. We've tried all the avenues at this point, from what I can tell. Uh, they've looked at all the statistics and analytics and have come up with nothing but the only solution to fixing this problem, and it needs to be performed now. Well, it's not even the only one. Like that's the main one, but like they, they're still they're still using QT QE right now, so they're still buying long-term uh, debt um, instruments. They're still buying long-term uh, mortgage-backed securities. They're buying all these things because it tends to... Uh, it deflates it a little. It, it tends to uh, have the bond yields go lower to make it easier to lend money. So they do this this QE, which they did a lot. Uh, the U.S. did it a lot in the... Um, I think that's when they mainly became a key lever, as they say, back in the 2008 financial crisis. So... They're still doing that, though. The but Fed it's not, is still but it's not, well, you can do that. Yeah. MB mortgage-backed securities. They're still but doing that up, to, up into January, and they still haven't raised interest rates. You, you so can like, do all of these little things that you think can make the, the – you can deflate the market a touch with some of those activities. But none of those are, are effective as it pertains to a 7.5% annual interest uh, increase in inflation. There is only uh-huh. one answer. Truthfully, they've been dancing around this answer for months now. I can't believe that they were saying that this is going to be trans transient transient that like messed up everything. If they, if they say the word transient one more time, I am going to lose my mind because this is the opposite of transient. This is going to have long-term effects on your money, my money, everybody's money, as we could see, because we're going to talk about what happened in 2008 to the S and P 500 and what in 2000 to the S&P 500 and why that's important to you as you go into making your knowledgeable investing moves, because what they do next is going to have not transient effects. 
It's so first, they got to off, and they got to off, they got to offload more tre- long-term treasury bills. They got to offload mortgage-backed securities. That's quantitative tightening. They got to do that now. They got to stop buying. No more purchasing. Selling. And that selling is going to drive rates higher. And you're already seeing that with some of the steepest increases in mortgage rates in recent times happening this last We are three, over five, the 2019 weeks. mortgage rates now. We are. We are. Because this, this is about to go down. Stuff is going to get more, much more expensive. And I don't know if that's going to be great for us. We uh, have to, but we have to temper the demand a bit too. By raising these rates, we have to drop demand a little bit. So we can let the supply chain settle a touch and we can work through all of these issues. Now that's true, but I don't know though, because like it, it is it demand though, or is it lack of supply? Because if you t- if people are already kind of struggling to an extent, and then you make things more expensive for them, or people already have high debt to income ratios and you make it harder to have that debt, and then student loan stuff kicks in around that time again. That's more of that's more of a moral conversation. And I'm no, I'm, it's an economic one because that is what is that is the exact thing that's well, that, gonna cause a recession. Because yes, it around is. that time, you're gonna have weakening demand and then you're gonna have uh increasing supply as like all these infections are over, and then you got all these raw materials back in action, people and the supply chain working out. So at the same time, you're gonna get a lack of demand now from this aggressive tightening that's that we already agreed has to happen. But then at the same time that that stuff starts working, you're going to have the supply chain start working. Start ramping back up. And then you're going to have, in my opinion, you're going to have a deflationary environment potentially in a lot of industries. That's when 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 we're going to get a recession, actually. That's when we can start dropping those rates again. We've seen this roller coaster ride. This is going to be a roller coaster. I think we talked about this a a couple weeks ago where we were like, look, it's going to be up. It's going to be down. What they're doing, and you've got to give it time, is work through this, the, the way the economy needs to stabilize. They're not always going to get it right. At times, they're going to get it wrong. In my opinion, though, they've been getting this particular aspect wrong for a little too a long. Yeah. And so what happens next? We're looking at a March guaranteed March interest rate by the Fed, whether that is a quarter percent, which is pretty standard, or a half percent, which is not, is to be seen. Um, now, just for reference, the last time they raised rates, Drew, in by half a percent. What was that? May 2000. What happened after that? A big old recession. How long did that recession last? Two and a half years. Two and a half years. For the stock market, at least. The stock market did not recover for two and a half years. Uh, following in 2000, look, in 2004, five, um, things really started to turn back up and we started to bring those rates back down. Uh, and we, we ran this roller coaster for a bit. 2008 was another really the housing crash, economic problem as well. Uh, rates went back up and, and we continue to work through the issues. So we, we're just kind of reactionary in how we handle our inflation rates. But this is a reaction that hasn't happened yet and needs to happen. If it's a half percent increase, it's going to have catastrophic effects on your investments and my investments. It could very well. It could very well. I'm willing to go with the more concrete, not could, but will have catastrophic effects. Like there's a very high chance that that happens. Let, let's just see though. Let's just take a peek back, put on our time, get in our hot tub time machines here Ooh, for a second. I could use a hot tub time machine. It's snowing. 
Yes, actually. So we'll you, you get in there, you open your, you close your eyes, you wake up again, and now it's May 2000. And when did Chevy Chase come into the picture here? Because usually he hangs <sighs> around. It's May 2000. You have about three months. So the rate, the, the rate hike just happened half a point. It, it, you know, it's the midst of a couple of rake hikes here. You bought some you stocks have, right there in May. You, you know, have about like three months after that to, to get out now. You have three months after that half point rake, rate hike to get to out. Dump it or, or you know how long it's going to take you to get back your investment? So from that point, so that's May, June, July, August. So August, right? Let's August, say you don't September. dump it by August, right? Yeah. How long does it take you to get your money back? You will finally see a positive net balance in your bank account in May 2007. A little so, bit more than wait, hold on, six hold, and a half years. Oh, um, let me, maybe I didn't hear you correctly. Um, you said May, you said 2000, right? Is that so, when? Uh, yeah. So, so August, so, so May 2000, August 2000 is the highest. Yeah. So, so it's you, about three months after so If the, you don't get out of there by August 2000, did you say 2007? I said July 2000. Yeah, about May, May, June, July 2007. Wow. And that's not even including inflation. It's taking me a second to process <laughs> that information. Um, okay. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> for, the first time, for the first time in the history of Challenging Trades, your co-host, Christopher Abrod, is now at a loss for words. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, very, very unusual. Ooh, uh, this isn't scripted, but if it was, I couldn't have scripted it as well. Anyway, what, so let's dollar cost averaging is the process in which you continuously buy up your losses until you have no dry powder left. And then you wait seven years for you to get back your money. I, uh, it's hard to see. It's hard for me to see my show notes here through the tears. Um, I'm working on it though. Anyway, (laughs) so what do we do then, Drew? What do we do now? Um, what, what is your take on, on knowing that the rates are coming, a potential emergency rate hike coming in February? That's where we're at. Like it's getting this, it's getting this crazy that an unscripted emergency rate hike might show itself by the end of this month. So what do we do? Yeah. So I would do not just panic. I would look at some assets. I'm panicking right now. Yeah. I mean, you'd have to look at some assets that, that, that don't, you know, that don't have such a high risk profile or, or could be immune uh, to, to both the double threat of inflation and higher interest rates. Drew, and in, your, in your opinion, geopolitical stability. In your opinion, what stocks are the most prone to these rate hikes? So we already we already know because our portfolios are already well. Okay, actually. I think that our portfolios might not do too too badly going forward because a lot of investors that are really worried about inflation. No, no, no. Hear tech, me out. Hear tech, me out. Tech stocks. The Nasdaq 500. The Nasdaq is going to get ripped to shreds. That's now, what, re, remember the, the those growth stocks are so up. prone to those the damages from these Fed rate hikes. That's that's true, but a lot of the stock market kept going up after the rate hikes. It was only until the recession was impar- apparent that stocks started to go down. And I think people started losing jobs around that time. So if you have good jobs, you have a good economy. That's the kind of basic thing. 
that we know. And the best kind of names that usually do well and that get through something like a multi-year downturn are if you're burning cash flow, then you're not going to be able to raise money and you better have a two to three year runway then to get, to get through something like if a 2001 recession happened again, you know, what's interesting so, though, um, big cash, you want to look at big cash sheets, growing revenue industries that aren't going to be affected by if people lose jobs. So, you know, big brand uh, name in this uh, industries, consumer products, dividend, dividend generating, um, Anything with like an established base and that's like a leader in their industry, they're called bellwethers, and that's who blue chips. I would. Yeah, blue chips though are more like the size. Yeah, I'm yeah. talking about like just industry leaders, which industry could be leaders. smaller, could be smaller industries, but the, as long as they're like hundred year old industries, you know. Look like, at look at like, look at their, uh, their long term outlook as well. Like look at look at their uh, roadmap for their own success. If they have a clear, concise, detailed roadmap that investors seem to be getting behind, that's a good idea to continue to stay with them. All, On top of all, that, I yeah. do want to mention one thing. I want to mention one caveat to the half rate increase in two thousand one. Um, two thousand May two thousand two thousand. Sorry, that was followed up by a lot of interesting moves here no because in 2001 we increased rates multiple times by half a percent we increased rates uh january 31st by half a percent we increased rates when we officially called it a recession in march 20 uh march 20th of 2001 by half a percent we increased it again in april 18th of 2001 by half a percent oh sorry decreased by half a percent decreased by half percent and then we went up a couple of times by half a percent. So there were multiple half percent rate moves that year alone. So do we think that that's going to happen this year? I personally don't. I see maybe a one half percent rate increase followed by maybe two to three more quarter percent rate increases. So it'll be a much more soft approach to how we're going to how we're going to handle this as opposed to kind of the really crazy way that we did in 2001. So interest rates move by half percent down, half percent down, half percent up, half percent up. So we move those interest rates around quite a bit and we move them to the effect of about half a percentage um, in multiple occasions. You, do, do you see that on your charts as well, Drew? Oh, yeah. I was just looking up uh, kind of like how that whole thing played out. And That was again- a crazy year. I mean, you're looking at recession being called in March 20th. You're looking at uh, 9-11 happening in September. You're looking at the Afghanistan war starting in October. This, this was a crazy year. And I think that we won't see this level of craziness and this level of, you know, very knee-jerk reactionary aspects to the market by the feds. I think they're looking at this as a more long-term, they're looking at this as a more holistic approach in terms of how they want to, how do they want to handle it to avoid the aftermath of 2001. So while we painted a pretty bleak picture of what happens after a half point reset, half point increase in rates, I don't think we're going to see that level of disparity in the market. I actually don't think we're going to see more than like 1% before they need to lower it again, to tell you the truth. That would be a much softer blow than we're talking about right now that happened historically. And I would be very okay with that. Yeah. I think that supply is going to be a net benefit in the medium in the short to medium term. Um, As as soon as I'd say, but by the end of Q2, Q3, 
we're going to be figuring out supply chains to the extent in which it's not going to be such a big contributor to inflation. I think so, so as well. That's going to be good. I think regardless, it's going to help out a lot. Um, I, I do think we're going to see some pullback on asset prices. Certainly housing prices are going to, I think, be something to look at um, starting in 2023. Uh, I, think, I think so as well. Year. As long but as these interest rates Something with used up. cars as well, though. New cars. Used, used cars, cars are going to go back down like crazy. I truly believe it. As somebody yeah. that's been in that industry for a while, I think the balloon is going to pop here. And you're going to see dealers that are holding on to a lot of inventory that they purchased for the wrong prices that are going to want to offload them as quickly as possible. So if you're not in a position to buy a used car right now and you can wait, wait. Actually, new cars were one of the bright spots in the latest CPI report. They actually were flat. That is, so. That's great news for, for upcoming used car prices mm-hmm. because it rolls downhill. So, mm-hmm. you know, on that note, be careful with how you invest. Try to mitigate risk as much as possible right now, uh, knowing what's coming. Um, I would say take do your if you have a risk assessment or a risk parity score that you've done with any kind of investment agency, revamp it um, because you're going to want to lower that risk parity score quite a bit. Just for reference, on Wealthfront, I have a risk parity score of eight and a half out of ten. I'm very risk. Um, risk focused, if, if anything, right? I, I'm very okay with risk, but I'm going to be lowering that score in the near future, knowing that that's not going to play into my, my financial future very well. So what percentage should we be sitting at cash going forward into 2022, do you think, from now on? Maybe I still, we should keep a heavy cash or just put it in dividend, big, big blue chip dividend generating hmm. ones as your kind of cash reservoir, just in case we things get better at this point? I've always been a big fan of 20% cash, um, 50, somewhere between 15 and 20% cash. I think there's a really healthy place to be. For your investing like. cash or just total cash? Total cash. For think, investing. Do you yeah, have- investing, I, I usually keep, again, I hold about 20% of my money, uh, including what I would allocate for investments into cash. Now, mm-hmm. knowing that, should you want to dip that to about 10%, I would reinvest the remaining five to 10% of that money that you took out of cash into high, uh, low risk dividend yielding stocks. Your low, very risk, like a riskless asset class that will actually produce money short term that you can reinvest. Right. You could do that. That makes sense. As long as um, you're okay with a little bit of a loss, potentially, if things keep going sour. Short term. Short term, I think if you're doing it right, usually those dividend yielding stocks or companies are pretty low risk asset classes that will rebound once this ends. So uh, if you're not desperately strapped for cash now, you don't need to use it to make a big life purchase. Might not be the worst place to put your money if you're okay with sitting on it for three to four years, Um, maybe even less, depending on how they approach this Fed interest rate hike. All right. Well, let's let's keep uh, our pulse. Yeah, yes. Yeah. We, we keep spent- our finger to the pulse on this topic, and I'm sure we'll be talking about it again next month as we get closer to the final decision. I'm going to do a 60 wow. second crypto roundup. We're going to try and keep this between 60 and 120 seconds moving forward because usually we spend a lot of time on the big story because it is a we pick big stories. We truly pick ones that have a lot of moving components that we really want to try and dig deep into at least one aspect of those. And this was no different than any other week. Last week was China and we had a lot. So 
In crypto news, we've got Bitcoin hovering 42.3K right now. It's actually up 1.6% over seven days and down a quarter percent over the last 24 hours. Ether is, uh, or Ethereum, as those as other people like to call it. Um, I like to call it Ether. ETH, ETH, ETH is fine too, whatever you want. It's e. hovering 2,900 bucks. It is down three and a half percent over the seven day period, which is a very big decoupling from Bitcoin. Uh, and it's down almost three quarters of a percent uh, in the last 24 hours alone. But there's a little bit of news in crypto that's probably worth, probably worth mentioning. Uh, India, second largest population by country, is now reversing the course on banning cryptocurrency and it's the taxing cryptocurrency. So keep that in mind. They are no longer hmm. going to ban crypto. That's going to add an influx of new crypto investors in the market. Russia, also reversing course on crypto banning, looking into a CBDC. So keep an eyes on that. Taxation on cryptocurrency coming that way as well. Long-term holders are now making up most of the Bitcoin market compared to previous bull runs. That means people aren't just new random retail investors hopping onto the Bitcoin bandwagon. There are people that are now buying and holding their positions for longer than, 20, uh, than 12 to 24 months. And the Ether Outlook has just been updated by Goldman Sachs for March of uh, 2022. They are now projecting uh, an Ether price of $3,800 by March 31st, 2022. So those that are heavy on Ether, you might like what you're hearing there. Uh, keep your eyes hmm. on any crypto movement. Uh, we'll see if it has if it has any legs as a quote unquote inflation hedge. Um, it is showing signs of that, but it's not showing that in large enough timelines that we can really hold that um, that nomenclature to it. So we'll keep the we'll keep our eyes on that for you, but. Uh, cryptocurrencies have actually moved in a pretty prosperous way over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I expect that to kind of move, continue to trade sideways or even push a little bit upward now that we're seeing the trend lines reverse. Hmm. Interesting. So which altcoin should I invest in now? If I had $10,000? Uh, $10,000, I go Solana. Solana, okay. Solana is, is it, it going to do me, is it going to do a lot better than Cardano, do you think? Cardano is starting its its downward trend. Solana is quickly Solana and Dot. Those two are really coming up as the blockchain leaders in terms of combating uh, ether for the NFT space, uh, lower gas transaction fees, faster transactions. So the fees. I couldn't buy Solana on eToro though. You can't buy it on eToro. You're probably going to want to go to Coinbase for that. All right. So keep we'll keep our eyes on all these things for you. And now that. Drew has bought, uh, brought uh, Cardano and Solana into the mix in this conversation. I'll keep eyes on that for all of our viewers as well. So you can see how it's doing compared to they, the Polkadot and Solana are, are made to combat ETH in terms of being a transactionary blockchain. And they are starting to gain some ground. Keep your eyes on those two. Well, thank you so much for that update. Uh, would love to hear who ends up uh, being the, the best coin around it's a crapshoot on that i mean where you're going to see your biggest returns are going to be your altcoins but since there's almost a thousand of those to choose from you might just want to go to the casino uh anyway moving on so we are going to wrap this week up right now by talking about what we think is going to happen next week and i'll give you a 60 second snapshot on what i think is going to happen next week um i think next week we're going to see another pattern upward um you know the Fed news is here. It's already hit the market pretty hard. I think we've built in the bad news at this point and we can start to look forward knowing that a half percent rate increase might be on its way. Um, I, I, and I, I really, I'm really, I know it's kind of controversial, but I really think that 
it could actually be welcomed by the markets. We might, we might see triple points uh, on, on the NASDAQ if, if, if folks really are starting to think that the Fed is not incompetent and can actually do their jobs, then inflation is going to go down. That's going to benefit all of our growth and um, our growth companies. And, and I think it's going to be great for them. So. I think so as well. I think the sentiment around Fed rate increases has dramatically shifted from November last year to, to February of this year. And that sentiment was, oh my God, they're going to increase rates. Why? And, and everyone freaked out. Now it's, please increase rates. Our economy is crashing. So exactly, the sentiment itself has dramatically changed when it comes to them increasing the rates. And that's a good thing because truthfully, that means investors are educating themselves on what they want the feds to do and what they want to happen in their long-term investing strategy with the market. And this is the healthiest way to combat what's going on right now. Absolutely. So Drew, what do you got for the rest? What do you got for this week? What do you think? Green, red, what? Red. Nice talking to you. <laughs> Why would it be red? Uh, it just didn't end very well on Friday. And I think that that sentiment's going to continue with, uh, I mean, there's no good news that might is going to come out at this point. And then we have Russia's aggression with Ukraine, which is going to be a highlight this week. Yeah, next week we're going to talk about Russia, Ukraine, what that means for our market, what that means for you as red. an investor. Red, uh, red like the Soviet Union <laughs> color. Red, red like the blood. This this could have really interesting impacts on our market, and it could have it could set a really ugly precedent for what happens next in terms of how our global leaders approach land that they truly believe might be theirs. So, yeah, there is a precedent here that really needs to be kind of tamed um, and not allowed to move forward. But but we'll approach that with caution next week and see exactly what happens over the course of this week in terms of that Russia-Ukraine aggression that's going on. Well, thank you again, Chris, for setting us up for for the week ahead. Um, Yeah, I said green, you said red. So the viewers are totally lost now. Thank you. And that's what we want to do for this podcast is to leave you more confused than when you came. And, um, you know, we, we just want to share. We cried a lot when we, when we saw how long it would before take. Before and after. Oh yeah. Don't, can we, can we not have that in the edited version? I'm not it's editing that out. I'm not it's editing all that just going to be great guys. Just keep pouring your money into risk on assets if you, want, if, if you guys it. want the rah-rah stocks are great you're always going to make money talk not this is not your podcast if you want to hear about what actually happens in the market you want to talk about historical data you want to talk about real events that are going to impact your money keep listening we're going to keep it, giving you information just like that just keep feeding it to you you know it's great if you just want to throw in all your money in today's stock market and just not need it for seven years then i have the investment for you yeah we've got plenty of those Trust me, go pick it. Why don't you make a roulette table with all the investments that you could possibly put your money into and then roll the roll that little white ball in there because that's essentially what you'll be doing. You won't be getting your money back for quite a while. We're trying to minimize that risk as much as we can and hopefully set you up for long-term success as opposed to long-term failure. But just a reminder, Challenging Trades is a news and opinion source and we do not provide any investment advice. We do not, but we appreciate all you listeners out there. If you really like us, Please uh, share share us and like us on social media. And obviously, if you uh, have any ideas or feedback, we welcome your comments. 
Yeah, reach out to us anytime. We're incredibly responsive. We want to hear from you guys. We really do. Um, and we think that, you know, any, any input, negative, positive could really help us with the show. So we want to make it a better experience for everybody. But again, like Drew said, thanks all for listening and we'll see you guys next week.